The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. If you don't own a Bible and you're here with us in person, we'd love to give you one as a gift from Park Church. You can head to the info table at the back there and pick one up on your way out. Again, the scripture reading is Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning, Park Church. It's good to see some of you here. Good to see many of you. Uh, Some faces I haven't seen in a while and some that are brand new. So welcome to all of you. For those joining us online, thank you uh, for engaging and staying engaged in this season. Uh, It still is a a crazy time to be the church, just with all the social distancing and kind of different things we're walking through. And so for you to stay engaged, to continue to gather together, whether here at the building or in homes, around the city, um, or backyards, or parks, or wherever you are, I just want to say thank you. Uh, it is a gift to be able to connect with you, but also it's something that we're designed for, to worship God together, uh, to connect with other people in the body of Christ. So thanks for staying engaged. Um, I, I think the passage we're looking at this morning is a familiar passage to many, and yet it's one of the most radical and transformative and challenging teachings of Jesus Uh, that we have. And so we need the Spirit's help to actually hear what Jesus has to say to us and that the Spirit would actually affect transformation in our hearts to be a type of people that express the kind of love that he's calling us to um, hear. Uh, We're back into the Sermon on the Mount. This is our second week back into our series. So if you're new to Park Church, again, just so you know, we're working through um, the whole Gospel of Matthew, which I think is going to take us about 14 or 15 years at this rate, uh, which will be fun because it's it's a wonderful book of the Bible. Um, But we are looking at the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he's teaching us what it means to be his people in this world. And so let's pray that his word, his life, and even his presence here would bring transformation. Um, Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. Um, Wherever your people are gathered, whether here at the building or around the city, around the world, people in different churches and different communities, uh, you've promised that you are with us always. And so like we sang at the beginning, we pray that you would walk among us, that you would tend to our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would refine us, that you bring transformation into our lives through your love so that we would be people who love you, God, with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and that we would extend your love to others, that we would love our neighbors and those around us, even 
our enemies, that we love them, that we love this world the way that you love the world. And we need you. The world needs you. We need you. Your church needs you right now. So, Spirit, would you do powerful, powerful work in our community through your grace, by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Our culture is obsessed with the idea of love. Uh, it's, it's obsessed with the idea of love. What we mean by love when we talk about love, it might kind of, it's different, right? If you pay attention to all the sort of like cultural artifacts that we have around us, uh, whether it's music or movies uh, or shows or art, all these things so often, the, the things that become, get a lot of traction are things that are, are related to love. And you can look way back throughout history. You think about poetry by somebody like John Donne or Shakespearean sonnets or some sort of Shakespearean drama. Like love has been something that's captivated the hearts of humanity throughout generations and generations and continues to capture our hearts now if you any any like popular songs throughout the past several decades if you just look at the the best songs throughout the past decades so many of them are related to love either the desire for love or heartbreak uh, over love or I, I think of like queen right you have this song like somebody to love which is this phenomenal song then you also have a song that's like I'm in love with my car Right? Like these are the things that we talk about when we talk about love. You talk about these longings, these affections, even the language we use. If I were to say, what do you love? What do you love? Right? There are a lot of different ways we could think about that, right? Like you can love a person, you can love a family member, and you can love street tacos. Um, I do. I love street tacos. Cilantro, onion, lime juice over the top. They're awesome. But to say like, I love street tacos and I love my wife, like feels... Like, should those be the same? Should that be the same word that we're using in these contexts? I love my children, right? When we think about love, there's a lot of confusion about what do we actually mean as a culture? What does our culture mean? There's difficulty even in the language, like the semantic range of our word love is really broad. You can use it for something that you like, a hobby that you're interested in, a sports team that you enjoy, something about the mountains or the weather. You can use it for romance. You can use it for kind of affection for a friend. You can use it for a lot of different things. So, so what are we talking about when the Bible speaks about love? What's it speaking about? What's it speaking about? Apart from just the, the term itself, the idea of love, even if we were talking about an interrelational love and the kind of longing that every human being has to be loved and to experience love, the actual concept of what it means to be a person who expresses love is really kind of difficult to understand, especially in this current moment in our world. For a world so obsessed with love, it's stunning to see the level of divisiveness, angst, vitriolic anger, animosity, antagonism that permeates our society. Not just in the sort of political social sphere, but in relationships, in the breakdown of families, in the dissolving of friendships. The things that we tend to to kind of like assume around us and experience around us the the kind of culture for all the talk and the songs and the art and the longing for love, our culture doesn't feel like a culture that's marked by love at all. At all. And that's heartbreaking because it's not just out there, it's inside the church as well. The church is not known as a community of love. And that is not the way it's supposed to be. And that's what Jesus is speaking about in this passage. He's actually calling his people 
to be marked by a particular kind of love that is distinct from the way that our hearts tend to bend and is distinct from the concepts and conceptions of love that permeate our society. And if we were to get our minds and our hearts around this kind of love that God has for us and were to allow it to kind of anchor and root our hearts and our souls and then to grow as people who express that kind of love to others around us, it would lead to incredible transformation in your life, in your relationships. And if we as a church, just as a singular church or as the body of Christ more broadly around our city or around the world were to take this teaching of Jesus seriously and to let even our difficulty of getting our minds and our hearts around it take us deeper into God's love for us, it would bring transformation and healing to the world in ways that the world is desperate for, that the world is longing for, even if we are in many ways resistant to it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at what Jesus is calling us to as his people with respect to this unique, transformative love. And we're going to work through the passage and just say, what, what does this mean for us? And so the first thing I'm going to look at is just like, what is, this, what is he confronting culturally? Because he's actually confronting a cultural misunderstanding among human beings of the way we think about love. He's confronting it. And he's leading us into a truer, deeper, fuller, richer kind of love that would actually bring healing into the world. And he's going to show us what he's calling us to, why he's calling us to it, and how we're supposed to experience and express it. And so that's the kind of the journey we'll walk through this morning. I want you to keep your Bible open if you closed it. We are in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Again, it's a familiar passage, but it's radical and stunning to consider the implications of it. So here's what Jesus says. Um, he first, this is the sixth of six different teachings of Jesus where he speaks with this kind of line. You've heard it said, like in your kind of religious circle, in your tradition, in your understanding of what God's asking for you, you have this conception of the way things ought to be, but I'm calling you to something deeper and fuller and more to the point of what humanity was supposed to experience and express. And so we're in the sixth one of these in, in verse 43. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's saying this is the sort of like cultural milieu, this is sort of like the cultural environment that you've grown up in as my people. He's speaking to a bunch of Israelites on a mountain, teaching them. This is what you've kind of become familiar with, this concept of love. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Well, where did they hear that? Part of that they heard from Scripture. Um, we've actually talked about that this summer. Leviticus 19:18 is a scripture passage where God is instructing his people on what he's calling them to, to represent his character in the world, to be salt and light and his representatives, like vice regents that represent the reign of God and the love of God and the character of God in the world that bear his image in beautiful and stunning ways. And this teaching is right in the heart of it. Now, a lot of us aren't familiar. Part of that reason is we, in a Bible reading plan, have a hard time getting past the genealogies in Genesis, right? Like you start your Bible reading plan in January, and you get to the genealogies. Very few make it past the genealogies. Once you get to Leviticus, you know, I've, like, I've often felt like a free pass on Leviticus. Like, the Lord really doesn't want us to read. Like, it's okay to not read Leviticus, right? Kind of feels like it, because uh, it's complicated, it's bizarre, it's full of, like, very graphic animal sacrifices and details about lots of bizarre things. And then you get to a place like Leviticus 19, and it's stunning. And some of the most profound summaries of what God's calling us to be as his people are found right in Leviticus 19. And it's a chapter about what God's calling us to do with respect to a love for other people. 
And so in Leviticus 19.18, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in the context, what it's referring to is loving the people within the community of Israel. So Israelites loving fellow Israelites, that their kingdom would be a kingdom that's marked by love. And more broadly in the context, especially to the vulnerable, to the marginalized, the ostracized, the sojourners, the immigrants that come into their community. Like when you come into the people of the kingdom of God, when, when God says when, when people experience the environment and the atmosphere and the sort of like aroma of my people, it ought to be an aroma of love. That ought to be the aroma of, of my kingdom people. Now throughout history, people that were very determined to follow the teaching of God we're, we're kind of looking at this passage trying to understand, okay, like, well, what does that mean with different kinds of relationships? And so the big debated question became, who's my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Cool, great. Who's my neighbor? Because if I can figure out who my neighbor is and more specifically who my neighbor isn't, then I can feel like God's comfortable with me extending his love to certain kinds of people and, a, and kind of withholding his love from other kinds of people. And so they began to debate and discuss who was the neighbor that we're called to show love to. And so as kind of like generations spread, there's a lot of different tensions around that. But if you pay attention to the history of Israel, it became more complicated because of the divisions that they began to experience within their own community kind of post-Solomon. Solomon was one of the great kings of Israel's history or the most renowned kings of Israel's history. The kingdom split, and so there's division in the kingdom. And so the southern kind of tribes of Israel and the northern tribes of Israel began to experience division. And so these southern, these southern tribes that were known as the kingdom of Judah felt animosity and antagonism towards the northern tribes, and divisions began to be formed among the people of God. They experienced oppression and opposition from kingdom after kingdom, from the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks. And then finally, in the first century, you're experiencing oppression from the Roman government where Rome has occupied Israel and they're abusing people. They are using the power of the Roman military system to actually oppress and kind of stifle and suffocate different people groups in different ways and oppress their value and their dignity. And so the question that Israelites are asking in the first century is, do I have to love the Romans? Do I have to love the Samaritans who are used to be a part of our people but compromised? Do I have to love people like tax collectors who have saddled up with the Roman system to actually find safe space and actually benefit financially from the Roman system by being their hands and feet to express this injustice through an unjust tax system? Do I have to love the tax collectors? And they had decided the kind of predominant interpretation of this call to love your neighbor was that, no, you don't have to love the tax collector. They've made themselves an enemy of the people of God. No, you don't have to love the Romans. The Romans are our enemies. They oppose us. No, you don't have to love the Samaritans. The Samaritans are compromisers and outsiders. They're not a part of our people. The people that we're called to love are our people, our tribe, the people who think like me, value the things I value, affirm me, and don't oppose me. That was the conception of love. And Jesus says, you've, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Did scripture ever say hate your enemy? No, never. But they began to kind of find ways to justify their animosity and antagonism towards other human beings by kind of twisting and ignoring different parts of God's word. And we do the same exact thing. We do the same exact thing. In our culture, we treat love, love as a commodity to be exchanged I will give you love so long as you give me love. We think about that in relationships and friendships and marriages. 
that so long as you're giving me what I feel like I need, then I'll give to you what, what I want to give to you. And it's this exchange. And if at any point anybody violates that exchange, then it's a shutdown. It's a breakdown that leads to division and more division and more division and breakdowns of marriages, breakdowns of family, breakdown of relationships and friendships. Obviously, we experience it in the kind of political, social world that we're in right now. We're going to talk a little bit more next week about what is this call to love your neighbor as ourselves? kind of how does it make sense in, in, a, in a kind of environment that we're in right now. So I'm not going to go too deep there. But you feel the animosity and the outrage and the antagonism from one way of thinking towards another way of thinking, even within the people of God who value God's word and love God's word that kind of tend to kind of align with different parts and different values, find antagonism and grenade throwing over top of ideological boundaries. So we've kind of created as a society inside and outside of the church what people have begun to refer to as an outrage culture where the things that get the most traction are things that develop anxiety and angst and anger in me. So that media now, and like you, you should know this, I feel like we all should know this, that like they pay attention to psychology and inside media and marketing, there's this awareness that the more you can arouse human emotion, especially negative emotions like anxiety and anger, the more people will read, pay attention, click, share, spread. Like there's studies on the sort of viral rate of things that heighten kind of human angst, anxiety, and anger. And so media companies and marketing companies make money off of our kind of like tendency to kind of push against and to polarize and to totalize other people into these systems and into these pockets where you feel justified in hating, justified in anger, justified in thinking kind of these oppositional ways towards other human beings because we feel like God's okay with that because they're not my people. And my people surely are God's people. Surely God's like I'm in my camp. Surely. And Jesus crushes that. He attacks that so hard and he crushes it. And it's powerful to consider the way he does it. And I want you to see it in his teaching. He says, you've heard that, heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, here's what I'm telling you. Here's the fuller understanding of what it means to be truly, fully, beautifully human. This is what human beings were designed for. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is what he's calling us to, to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. So what, what does he mean by love? Um, there are a handful of Greek words. Jesus wasn't speaking Greek, but even in the translation, there are a handful of different Greek words that kind of describe different kinds of love. And it's not the sort of like emotional, romantic love. There are Greek words that describe that. That's eros. It's not this sort of like um, familial, like I love my children, or I love my brother, or I love my sister. There's Greek words for that, storge. It's, it's not even like this sort of like friendship, affection, this sort of like this desire just to, to love people just as like a, as a good friend and the kind of people that you enjoy being with. That's philia. It's a, it's, a, it's a more powerful word. It's a deeper kind of love, and it's this word agape, which is a love that kind of connotes in its very essence an attitude and an action. It's a love that has an attitude of being for somebody. I'm for them. I'm for their well-being. I'm for their flourishing. I'm for their dignity. I'm for their value. I am positionally, my posture towards this person is for them. And then I have an action that follows that attitude, 
which is to actually use my life in whatever ways I can to be for them, to actually pursue their well-being, to pursue their good. And this is agape love. And it is most specifically in the Bible described as God's love towards his people, that he has an attitude of being for his people, positionally, not just his people, but for the world. He loves, agape loves the world. And in that attitude of being for the flourishing of humanity, he moves towards us with compassion, kindness, and sacrificial love. And this is agape love. And it's the kind of love that Jesus says we're not just supposed to show our people, our tribe, our enemies. So enemies in this context are people who are outside of your circle or and or opposed to you and to your way of life. This idea of outside and opposed. Not many of us would say, I have enemies. Who's your enemy? Like, I actually have a list of like seven enemies. You know, like these are the people I'm against that I need to beat in the world. Like not many of us have enemies. Maybe you do. That's weird. Um, Probably shouldn't, but that's what this passage is about. But like, but we do have people to get to the point of the word that we feel are outside of our way of thinking, that we feel value different things than us. And if their value system wins the day, then it's kind of at the expense of my value system. And so we treat it as this kind of like zero sum game. If, if they flourish, I don't flourish. If, they, if I'm for them, that means it's against this. And we treat it as this zero sum experience, which is not the way that God treats the world. Or people that are opposed to us, and this is, this is more emotionally tender, and I, I get that. I understand that there are people here who have experienced incredible pain, incredible abuses and injustices. And this is not saying that you need to be okay with that experience of pain. It's not saying you need to minimize that or push that to the side. It's not saying you can't be honest about ways that you've been hurt or honest about injustice in the world. It's not even saying that you need to agree with everybody. That's a, kind of another cultural distortion of what love is, is agree with everybody which isn't real and doesn't even make sense. But it's actually love people that you disagree with. To show forgiveness to people who have harmed you. To entrust your soul to a God of justice, even when you've felt hurt. And to look to Jesus who loved and laid down his life for those who even nailed him to a tree. It is an entirely different kind of love that Jesus is calling us into. And it's powerful. So I want to ask you, who does it feel or who do you feel like is outside of your camp and maybe even opposed to you in your life? And what do you feel towards them? What's your attitude towards them? And what are your actions? What's your attitude and what are your actions? You don't need to kind of like, man, I just like love everything that they do and I'm just like so happy about all the things I've experienced from that person. But to say, I'm for them even though they're not for me. I'm going to move towards them, even if they won't move towards me. I'm going to show a different kind of love that God says actually reflects his character, and that's the why of this passage. He actually expresses why he's calling us to this different kind of love, and it's, it's powerful. He says, I say, love your enemies and pray for. It's a part of the way we love is actually praying for, not praying against I have prayed imprecations. Are you familiar? Imprecations, imprecatory prayers are like, God, crush them. You know, I've prayed imprecations over people in like painful moments. And there's like something like there's a space for like praying that God would crush injustice in this world, that he would stop the brokenness, that he would actually bring healing and transformation. What Jesus says here is pray for them. Not pray against them. Pray for them. 
Why? So that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. That you would be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. That the passage here isn't like, so that you'd earn this relationship with God. It's actually saying, so that you'd truly be children who reflect the character of your Father. Who actually represent his character. And what is his character? Jesus explains it. He says, For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust, that God's posture towards the world, all of the human beings whom he has made in his image, he is for them. He loves the world. He has a deep love for the world. He is for human flourishing. He is for human thriving. He is for individuals and humanity as a whole. People that you like and people that you don't like. People that agree with you and people that don't agree with you. God is for them. He loves them. He loves you. And he delights in you. And he says, when you show love, agape love, to people who are outside of your camp or who are opposed to you, now you're beginning to reflect the character of your God that you claim to follow. Now you're beginning to reflect his grace and his kindness and his patience and his humility and his mercy. Now you're beginning to show the light and the love of the people of God that was supposed to radiate as this transformative, distinctive experience in the world. Instead of kind of falling into the cultural rhythms that everybody else is of angst and anxiety and anger and vitriolic rage towards other human beings. And that's what Jesus says. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Like the people that you think are your enemies, don't they also love the people that love them? Do you think they're obeying the law of God by just kind of loving people that give them something in return? That's not distinctive. That's not holy, God-like love. That's just like commodity, love as commodity. And even if you, and it says in this, it says, and if you greet only your brothers and sisters, only those who are like a part of your group, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? In other words, those who aren't followers of God, who don't know the love of God, if you're just loving the people that are like you and, and loving the people that do good for you, for you, that's not love. That's not the kind of love that God has called us to. It's something more beautiful. It's something deeper. It's something that actually requires transformation of the human heart. Jesus closes this section by saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, good. <laughs> that's, that's, that sounds easy. Hey, God's perfect, right? Sure. You do that too. Cool. Now, what is this word perfect? It's this word teleos, which is more, less about kind of like moral perfection in every step. It's more about integration, wholeness, of being who you are intended to be as a human being. It's what this whole section is about. It's about showing a different way to be human. If sin and rejection and rebellion against the love of God and separation from him has led to division and anger and this dehumanizing experience, what Jesus is calling us into is a rehumanizing, transformative experience to bring healing into our soul through reconciling us to God and in that kind of experience of love to begin to heal our ability to show love and kindness and humility and graciousness and patience and mercy to other people just like God did for us. So where does that come from? How do, you, how do you get that kind of love? Go out, try harder. Doesn't work, does it? Clearly, clearly it doesn't work. But follow the storyline of Matthew and watch Jesus and watch what he did. 
because he came into the world not just to teach us a little bit about love, but to be the full manifestation and demonstration of God's agape love for you. That while you were an enemy, while I was an enemy and are wondering and are doubting and are ignoring and are kind of resistant to him, he pursues us. Jesus Christ came into the world to pursue us. Because of God's love for the world, Christ came into the world to pursue people who had made themselves his enemies. And he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us while we were enemies. So that his love, which isn't contingent on our actions or our obedience or our righteousness or unrighteousness or our goodness or our evil, it's contingent on the character of God, might actually transform us, reconcile us to the God of love, and change us to be people who reflect his love in this world. Um, John, the apostle, the beloved apostle of Jesus, in his first letter to these churches, is all about love. Um, And what he says in this passage is is pretty stunning. I think one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible is in John chapter 4. And here's what John, who had walked with Jesus for three years, was probably Jesus' closest earthly friend. And here's what he said. He's speaking to to Christians. I love that he just says, beloved, like people that I love. I love you. He's like, I love you. I love you. I want you to listen because I love you. And I want you to see this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. In other words, if you're loving people, then you're showing yourself to be children of God. Those who actually have a relationship with the God of love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is a stinging rebuke to the church. If you're like marked by a person of angst and anger and vitriolic rage against people, what John is saying is you do not know God. You might claim to know God, you might do religious stuff, but if you are not a person of love that's growing in love, not perfect in love, but growing, you do not know God. I I had an experience downtown this week. Um, There was a man who was uh, in a really, he was hurting And in his hurt, he was very angry in a kind of public space. And there were some guards and um, different people that came around to kind of help. And I was there. I was like right kind of around. And I just thought, hey, I'm clearly he was hurting. And so I just kind of said to the officers, I'm like, hey, I'm just a a pastor in the area if there's anything I can do. And just like, and they're like, hey, why don't you stay around? And I just, sorry, man, sounds like you're hurting. And there's nothing like really dangerous, but you can just tell things were pretty escalated and heightened. And there's a lot of tension and I just asked them, hey, can I go for a walk with this man and just hear him? And they were like, yeah, you can go for a walk. And I just said, hey, man, like, sounds like you've gone through some pain. Can we go for a walk? And he's like, he did. And, and we went for a walk for a little while. And he began to share with me his story of incredible pain. And a, a man who had been hurt by a lot of people and experienced pain not a perfect person. Brokenness in his family, intense, intense brokenness in his family, challenges throughout his story. And he began to express with emotion, I just want to be loved. I just want to be loved. I want to be loved, but I'm so afraid to be loved because 
I'm afraid I'll hurt people because of all the things I've gone through and all the pain. I just like, I know I hurt people. I just want to be loved. And uh, I was like, hey, can I, I don't know what your spiritual journey is, but can I tell you there's a God who sees you and knows you and loves you. And he got emotional, but he said, I, I want to believe that, but it's hard because most of the people who hurt me would go and sit in church on Sundays and come back out and hurt me again. So I want to believe that. It's just hard to believe that. And my heart was just like, as a, as a people, we've become com- comfortable enough with a lack of love and anger and resentment and unhealthy things and abusive things and pain and expressing these things in ways that don't own it. We've become comfortable enough without making its way and kind of saying this, this is the community of God that we have marred the love of God and distorted his love in this world. And Jesus says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be people who reflect my love who greet, who welcome. That's what John says here. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Here's how God showed his love. God is love, and here's how he showed it to us, that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to lay down his life for us, And then he says this stunning passage. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us like that, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected or comes to its full intended outcome through us. That as you experience God's love for you in your brokenness, in your anger, in your hurt and your wandering and in your doubts as you experience God's love for you as it begins to heal you on the inside that you don't have to defend yourself you can embrace being wrong you can make mistakes you can fail you don't have to posture or pose you don't have to climb and claw over other people and degrade people to feel better about yourself you don't have to do that as you experience this unconditional love of God you are freed to show kindness and humility and love to other people and And what John's saying, what Jesus says is when you do that, now the world begins to experience what it was made to experience, which is the love of God transforming humanity to be people who express that to one another. And that's where things are headed. That's what God is doing. He's restoring the world through his love. And may we be a part of it by turning from the areas where we hate and we oppose and we attack and becoming a people who reflect the love of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you right now to bring healing and transformation into our life. May your love root us and ground us and anchor us to be a people who show your love and reflect your character in this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to give you a moment to consider two questions. Two questions. One is first this, how have you experienced God's love for you. Just to take a moment and consider and even thank God for the ways that he has expressed and demonstrated his love for you. It can be through the cross of Jesus. It could be through a love or a note from a friend. But how have you experienced the love of God? And secondly, 
How could you show that kind of love to the people for whom it's hard for you to love? How could you show that kind of love, God's kind of love, to people for whom it's difficult for you to love? Consider those for a moment, and then we'll celebrate communion together. Father, would you help us uh, to be people who know your love in Christ? And would you transform us to be people who express that love even to our enemies?